0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. My guest today is Alexis Ohanian and he is the self-proclaimed startup guy with the aim of making the world suck less. When he was back at the University of Virginia in 2005, he co-founded a little company, social bookmarking company called Reddit, uh, now owned by Condé Nast. He also played a role in creating the online travel tool, Hip Monk, and he is the author of a new book we're going to talk about today called, Without Their Permission, How the 21st Century Will Be Made, Not Managed. So thanks for joining me, Alexis.
1: Thank you for having me. So can I call you Alex? <laughs> you so, know when you grow up you grow up with a name <laughs> like that, you you go one way or the other real quick and, uh, and I embrace I embraced Alexis. Well, and hopefully, hopefully I could every now and then I meet another dude who uh, is named Alexis, but oftentimes they sheepishly tell me I actually go by Alex, and it breaks my heart. <laughs> uh, I'm it. trying to bring it back. I want to make this a dude's name, so well, help I, me I, out. So.
0: And and I only mention that because, uh, and, and in fact, your book is riddled with little sort of what I would call inside jokes that uh, that, that you have <laughs> to read the book to, if you want to know what we're talking about. But,
1: uh, Excellent, um, yes. yeah, well played.
0: Because you, you mentioned that in there. Um, so what's, uh, <laughs> yes. what, what's the big thing about permission,
1: well, you know, there is there is this thing we talk about in tech uh, and specifically on the Internet that is permissionless innovation. It's what makes the Internet work. It's what lets Steve Huffman and I graduate from UVA and with no money, no connections. Actually, we, we were able to get 12 grand from my Combinator, but certainly no personal money, um, no connections. We're able to start something with two computers in a suburb, a suburb of a suburb of a suburb of Boston that would, in eight years, have more traffic than The New York Times. Uh, or CNN or whatever website you prefer. Um, that's awesome. Uh, the fact that the internet lets people do that is is great. And I was noticing how in the last few years, more and more platforms are becoming available, not just to let founders start companies like Reddit or Facebook or Twitter or what have you, um, but just people with passions to do the stuff they want, whether it was artists who wanted to use Kickstarter to get connected directly with their fans, whether it was activists, um, using social media to spread word and rally for causes like defeating SOPA and PIPA, uh, or even, uh, philanthropy, uh, and people using platforms like donorschoose.org and, and, and social media to, to raise ridiculous amounts of money without waiting for anyone's permission, uh, just going out there and doing it. And, uh, and it's really exciting because it means more people being amazing, more people being awesome, uh, because they get to have their ideas and their talents and their genius spread faster and further than ever before.
0: Well, and I, and I think this idea of permission goes beyond just starting a company, too. I mean, we used to have to, oh, have, yeah. we used to, have, to have permission to get to a journalist. Um, we used to have right. to have you know, permission in some ways to get to our clients uh, uh, with, or, 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 or our customers. Or, or customers. And, and, and I think that that whole idea of that's all gone out the window now As uh, long as, key, uh, I think, uh, that, that you're creating something of value.
1: Exactly. And it's, it's an amazing thing, right? I can look, you know, I'm doing 75 universities on this 150 stop floor. And the reason I'm so keyed in on universities is because that is such a prime opportunity, right? You have, you know, roughly four years. Your room and board is probably covered. Um, you have freedom to create and to explore, meet new people, experiment with all kinds of stuff. Um, but also like start doing things, like actually get in the habit of doing stuff because those are the skills, whether you want to start a company or start a nonprofit or whether you want to just work at one, these are skills that make you someone I want to invest in as well as someone I would want to hire. And, and in this new economy, so many of us, and specifically millennials, are going to have to invent careers um, or we're going to have to... Be more self-reliant about finding ways to, to play impactful, meaningful roles because a lot of what we were sold, you know, go to college, take on that student loan debt, don't worry about it, you'll get a job, uh, is not the case. Um, but we are, we are a resilient bunch and the internet is just, it's a tool like we've never seen before. And if it lives up to its full potential, I think we're going to get a lot more people contributing a lot more awesome stuff, uh, and, and not waiting for some gatekeeper's approval and just doing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to jump, I, I definitely want to give you an opportunity to tell, I mean, there's so many great stories in the book about, you know, finding or, or or stumbling upon um, <laughs> Reddit, <laughs> um, yes. no, no pun intended there. But um, <laughs> uh, because you let this can of worms or open this can of worms, uh, let me ask you this question. Does, does school mm-hmm. as we see it today even have a role or have a purpose?
1: Yes, uh, it is. I mean, I met, right, if I I hadn't gone to UVA, I would have never met Steve, and I'd be an immigration lawyer somewhere in all likelihood. Uh, It plays a role, an important role, I think, what matters and why why I think this has been so well-received, and not just by students. I mean, I'm talking faculty and administrators. This tour has been so well-received because, by and large, the model is is a 20th century model, and I want to offer a 21st century playbook. And and even I mean if you think about all of education, right? It was framed around a model like what was summer break for? It's so a bunch of kids can go home and like work on farms. Yeah. Uh, like there are a lot of things that are institutionalized that were just there because some random other carbon based life form said this is the way it should be. Well, quite so frankly, we can, I think
0: I think there's a lot of you know, I think there's a lot of history that would suggest that that most of school curriculum was created to create factory workers.
1: Exactly. Oh yes, absolutely. Right. If you, I mean, and if you look at, if you look at how so much of what we're getting prepared for is not really relevant to today's world, especially one that is changing as much as it has just in the last 10 years, thanks to the internet, thanks to technology. Um, you, you, you've got a lot of students who are doing that mental math about the cost benefit of like a really expensive school, uh, and then what they'll get out of it. And it's, and it has to change. It has to adapt. Priceonomics actually did a really good, their YC company, portfolio company, you know, full disclosure. But they did an amazing analysis of uh, tuition rates over time and how you know consistent that bubble has grown regardless of anything. Obviously, Peter Thiel said a lot about this. But all this is to say it is going to have to be a compliment, and, yeah. and it has to change. Um, but I think what is happening right now that is complementing existing systems because right, what schools are doing that is so valuable is it's bringing young people who have freedom and don't have much in the way of dependence together and bumping into each other and talking and learning and doing. And this is being – it's being replicated on a smaller scale at places, at, at accelerators and incubators and co-working spaces. But, you know, universities still have – the monopoly on the space and, and all that prestige and, and, you know, that's still very, very valuable. I think what, what has excited me most on this tour is, you know, it's just actually, it's just a college park last night, university of Maryland. And they've got uh, a hacker space now called startup shell. And it's a student run a year ago. A bunch of students basically took over a big closet that was, it was being used for storage. It was a huge room just full of junk. And they took it over and turned it into a hacker space. And they, they, they didn't, they got the sort of tacit permission of, uh, school facility owners, but they were just like, nah, all right, fine. Do your little club thing there. They never really organized a club. They just created a space. They hacked it together. They found free tables on Craigslist. And now, you know, I go visit there and it's just chock full of students building stuff, just making things. There's a 3D printer there they were able to found, uh, fundraise for. There's like stuff happening and they're already talking about expanding it into another three or four rooms in the building. And it's stuff like that, that, you know, it's like the Pirates... To the Navy, uh, to paraphrase Jobs, like that's going to make these institutions survive. It's like that's the thing that's going to make it continue to be a valuable thing, because now somebody who goes to College Park isn't just looking at, hey, look, I can get a good education here and I can learn. And I think, look, a well-rounded education is important. I, I, I think my humanities major made me the the writer, the thinker that I am, that helped me a ton as an entrepreneur. But now these students are also going to look at the curriculum and say, Hey, look, this is cool, but there's a bunch of stuff outside of my curriculum that I'm going to get to do if I want to, uh, at places like Starbucks, where we're surrounded by like minded people who want to get stuff done. And and so yes, yeah, so I think I mean, long story short, the T L D R is the, the price that that needs to come back down to earth. And I'm not sure how that's gonna happen, but that needs to and then it's gonna be these things of trouble that supplement it. The, the sort of pirates on the periphery that are going to complement the existing system that are going to make it a worthwhile thing. And in the meantime, look, look at all the upstarts from the Salcons and Khan academies mm-hmm. to, to all those co-working spaces, and the general assemblies, the Udacities, the co- Sarah's, I mean, goes on the list. They're going to keep getting bigger and they're going to keep growing. And, and I think 20 years from now, I'm pretty much going to have a kid, but um, I have a goddaughter. When she goes, when she graduates from high school, and, and I, I'm pretty sure she's going to be a startup founder, she's going to have a very different higher education. I, I think, I mean, that's it, well, that's like 15 years from now. There is a lot of kids going to have an education in 15 years, and I think she's not going to look at the same options that you and I did when we were thinking about what we did after we finished high school, and I think that's going to be a really good thing.
0: I totally agree. So um, let's talk a little bit about the – how you came about finding uh, Reddit? You have so many. I mean, we could spend a, an hour, and, and maybe you've maybe you've told the story so many times that you've condensed it to the two minute version of uh, you, you read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and and put boom right. <laughs> yeah, another, n- another joke. You got to read the book to get that one. So, uh, so tell what what is the what is the short version? Because there there there's plenty of places people can go and read about this, but I'd love to hear kind of your uh, version of of creating this thing called reddit
1: i mean oh man the shortest version would be (laughs) um just know know that what looks like a success story what looks like an overnight thing um is never a simple story it's never an overnight thing um you know reddit did not start out a top 50 website uh reddit started out with two recent college graduates who had no idea what they were doing and and actually were before they were recent college graduates, they were still in school, working on an entirely different company called My Mobile Menu, or M, mm, <laughs> which was a uh, mobile food ordering service. Right. So instead of waiting online, you'd be a few blocks away. You'd sort of text in your order. Remember, it's like two thousand five, so it was before smartphones, and then your Frappuccino would be waiting for you when you showed up to Starbucks and just walk out with it. Um, and we thought this was going to change the world. I convinced Steve to work on it with me, and we were working on it for about a year. And then we got to hear Paul Graham give a talk called "How to Start a Startup," and it changed our lives. It was up in Boston, and we went there on our senior year spring break to hear this guy give a talk about startups. Which is the definition
0: of a nerd, right?
1: I know, right? Why would
0: you go to a, Why would
1: you go to a beach? No, who needs that? No, we were in Boston hearing a talk about startups, and there was snow everywhere, and. We met him afterwards, we got his ear for a minute, pitched him on the idea, He he said it wasn't terrible. He actually thought we had a pretty good shot. I mean it was the author spoke pretty bad because like any entrepreneurial endeavor, but he was like, You got a pretty good shot, and it was amazing. We thought yes, we're gonna do this. Uh, a few weeks later he announced his like well, combinator, we applied, we get up for an interview, we crush the interview, and then we get rejected, uh, which was a downer. And we got drunk. And the next morning, <laughs> phone rings on my long train ride back to Virginia from Boston. And it's Paul, and he says, You know what? I still don't like your idea. I'm like, oh, that sucks. Thanks. Uh, but we like you guys. We want you to come and be a part of Y Combinators in the first round, right? Believe me, no one knew what it was. Yeah. It didn't have any of the prestige. It was just this thing that Paul Graham was doing. And, and it took us five seconds um, to take his offer of coming back, being a part of the program, and just changing our idea. And we spent an hour talking with him. It was just me, Stephen, Paul, in the old YC offices talking about problems that we had. And he was like, stay away from mobile. It's too early. But we'll build something in the browser. It solves a problem you guys have every day. And, you know, Steve talked about using Splashdot every morning. And I talked about using tabs in my browser, which mm-hmm. was a new thing, yeah. uh, to open a bunch of news websites and just read news. And, and he was like, do either of you feel like, you know, that solves the problem of what's new and interesting online? And we both agreed that it didn't. And he said, all right, that's it. We'll invest in you as long as you make the front page of the Internet. And we were like, "Oh, geez, okay, all right." Like this guy's gonna give us money to build the front page of the internet. We'll take it, sucker. And uh, <laughs> and that was how we got started. Like with three weeks into YC, we launch. It's ugly. It's janky. You can there are the the, the embarrassing screenshots in the book. And a week or two after that, we learned about Dig. And I would go on to spend the next like six years having to explain how we were different, how we were a platform for online communities, not just this one site with one front page, but um, you know, it was, I mean, I, I can't even, like, it, there were, and the, and the book's full of stories, the ups, the downs, that the, there are just so many things that go on during a startup that you never hear about that I wanted to make sure people knew about yeah. because it, it is often romanticized. Um, and it, I, to some extent, I'm happy it is because it gets people interested in it. Right. But the reality is it's just far from what you see in social network. Uh, it's far from what you see in the headline. Um, it's life and there are setbacks and there are failures and there are disappointments, but um, it is, it is incredibly, mo- it has been incredibly motivating to see how many people, I mean, they come up to me after these talks, really, really feel so genuinely surprised to hear about these failures, to hear about these setbacks. I, I bring an alum from every school on stage. So the first like 25 minutes is just a, my talk, then I'm interviewing someone on stage for 25 minutes who's an alum of the school, and I'm talking to her about like those days at school, what that university did for her, like her biggest setbacks, her biggest failures. These are these are all people who have had success on the internet, mind you. They yeah. started companies or launched nonprofits, all this stuff. And so these are amazing people who are alums from this university. These every one of these students can look at it and be like, oh yeah, this person was in this auditorium like four years ago, or eight years ago, or ten years ago, and relate to. And and when they hear a couple of quote unquote successful people on stage talking about all the stupid shit they did, um, it really makes a difference because they realize, like, look, we're all just hacking it. We're all just trying to figure stuff out, and and that's that's the biggest message that I hope I hope the book gets across about the founding of Reddit. Just like we didn't know what we're doing. You don't start out with a one million unique visitors. Like you start out with two, yeah. you and Steve just staring at each other. Well, he downvotes your first submission because he's a jerk.
0: (laughs) You know, fast forward to 2013 um, in terms of uh, starting a business. Can you imagine if if a Reddit didn't exist today? Can you imagine how much easier it would be with the tools that are available now?
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Yeah. and I mean, look, you know, the difference between launching Reddit in five and Hitmonk in 10, that was just five years. Right. But it was that, I mean, because social media, right? Like, that phrase didn't exist when we got started. Uh, and and now it's the way, I mean, you guys are living and breathing it. Like, word of mouth has always been the most popular, most powerful, the best way to promote anything. And it's the water cooler just got huge. The water cooler is worldwide, and it, and it moves faster and further than ever. And if you can make great stuff and obsess over users and do the things that people talk about, they're not just talking about, you to their friends or to their coworkers. Let's talking about you to the world, and that's amazing.
0: Is there a um, is there a story? And I know you share a couple in the book, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to pick maybe your favorite um, mm-hmm. uh, of, of of a meme or something that just really blew up on on Reddit that you thought was kind of your your favorite
1: thing. Oh, I got I got to talk about splashy Pants. right? <laughs> I mean that right. that was that was one of the first that was one of the first times I really saw what could happen. Um, to actually make, to actually have an impact, um, and I mean, I got a TED talk out of it, so I, I certainly appreciate it for that. But like, you had Greenpeace running this campaign where they wanted to name a humpback whale to really personify that movement uh, that they were trying to do to stop humpback whaling. I think it was the Japanese government stopping them from doing it. And so they tracked one of these whales, they wanted to come up with a name. They had all these brilliant, smart, erudite-sounding names like that uh, was like a Farsi word for peace. And all this stuff. Right. And then they had Mr. Splashy Pants. And, of course, the Internet wanted Mr. Splashy to win And So someone on Reddit submitted it saying, hey, let's all vote for Splashy Pants. And, of course, this went viral. Everyone starts voting on it. Before before long, Splashy's got like 95% of the vote. And Greenpeace flips out. And they're like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. That was a joke name. It wasn't supposed to be on there. You all were cheating. Uh, we're going to redo the poll. Oh, it's just Riled everyone else up and like I'm changing the logo now to like a fighting splashy whale on the top left of Reddit and uh, of course I think splashy wins in an even bigger landslide of like 98 or something percent of the votes and so finally Greenpeace reliance and they're like okay fine splashy Pimp, Mr. Splashy Pips wins. but what happened after once Greenpeace realized, like they needed to take themselves a little less seriously if they wanted to reach an audience that was bigger than the people right. who already loved Greenpeace, and once they realized, like they never had control of the message in the first place, they actually embraced it, and so they started selling merchandise with Splashy. They were sending like e cards with dancing Mister Splashy pants on it, and sure enough, a few months later, actually, maybe, yeah, I think it was about a month, the Japanese government actually called off their whaling expedition that year. And so they actually got the change they wanted. And and it worked because, you know, people just wanted, I mean, there were some people who loved humpback whales and wanted to stop this whaling expedition, but a lot of people just thought it was a funny name and just wanted to hear a broadcaster say, like, Mr. Splashy Pan. Uh, and, like, that that glimpse of what an impact you can have um, simply by accepting the lack of control that one has um, is it was just it really spoke to not just the potential of Reddit, but the potential of social media and other platforms like it, uh, and it really that that for me was a turning point when I really could see where things were headed, and uh, and it's just fun to say Mr. Splashy Pants, uh, you know I
0: care. <laughs> you know care a lot like that. A, a lot of the um, I mean in in many ways <clears throat> you know that was an example of disruption you know disrupting the mm-hmm. the, the normal. A path in which things uh, travel, and uh, a lot of the things that are being created uh, today are disrupting entire industries. So um, I'll I'll give you the crystal ball, even though most people don't want it. Uh, <laughs> what gets what, what what's what what what's one thing or two things or two industries that are in danger right now of having the the rug yanked out from under them?
1: Ooh, all right, Well, the one that I am very excited to see. Um, would be for artists. Um, and, and so let's just call it the creative industry, the entertainment industry, they have resisted change. And I mean, I, I rant about this <laughs> amount, uh, in the last chapter, they have, they have resisted technological change for so long. I mean, they had, they were testifying in, in DC that like the VCR was the equivalent of the Boston strangler, yeah. uh, for what it was doing. It was just crazy stuff, straight up crazy. And, they missed so many opportunities to make the right business decision by adapting that I, I think the tide is – things are finally really starting to turn. You're seeing you know, CEOs and leaders that understand that piracy is a service problem yeah. are winning. You look at Gabe Newell, that's his quote, um, the CEO of Alf. They go in the country they, – they looked at a country like Russia and everyone said, you gonna know, do PC games. Don't go there. This is – that is a – epicenter for piracy of PC gaming. You're never going to sell anything. And they go in and they built an amazing platform in Steam, and they're winning. Russia ended up becoming one of their best markets because they built something that was a better service than pirating the content illegally. They found a way to make the business case work, and they're winning. You look at Reed Hastings talking about how when Netflix showed up in Canada a few months back, the torrenting of, of films and TV shows dropped by half. Like, it halved because someone provided a better service and these are businesses adapting and winning and so those are the big dogs that are dominating industries like gaming and entertainment but what's exciting is kickstarter in just four years has shown that there is a new life to creating a relationship between artists and their fans and and it's timing and right kickstarter's technology is not innovative and I'm not an investor, which I were. But <laughs> nothing about the technology could not have happened in two thousand five when we were starting Reddit. Anyone could have built Kickstarter. Some people probably tried to. Their execution was amazing, but more importantly I think their timing was just right. There were so many of us online now there's a critical mass of us tweeting and Redditing and Facebooking and sharing these stories and feeling connections with people who we don't know but we kind of know. And and for people, I've been on message boards for way too long. So this is old news for anyone who's been in online communities for a long time. But we've reached a, a, a critical mass of people who are new to the game but get it and and are willing to back an artist in Tuscaloosa who has an interesting choose-your-own-adventure novel and, and just wants it to exist in the world. And so I think there, are, this is going to usher in many more platforms, I think, around disciplines uh, with music and film, all this other stuff, to, to really create an even better environment for creatives, right? These are not, like, for, for poets and for writers and for art for creatives to make a living doing what they love by connecting directly with their fans. Well, and it's well, I think amazing, it's, I, I amazing
0: think, stuff. I think Etsy might almost be an example of, of, of yes, that. I mean, cert- certainly makers and creatives uh, uh, abound there that were, you know, people that, that would have had trouble, you know, finding five people uh, to talk to. In some cases, absolutely. You know, let alone to to create an entire uh, store or industry around.
1: Yeah, and, and and it's 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 absolutely right. And and these these this is just the beginning. And so when you hear tidbits like I don't even know if we've totally calculated the effect, like the Etsy economy. I don't know if they've done any studies of how much. Like economic growth and value it's created. I mean, I've met people. I met people in um, Scarlet Garnet. These two women who met online started. They had separate Etsy stores. They joined forces. They now have a brick and mortar store they've opened because of their success online in downtown St. Louis. So here they are, online through Etsy, are part of an urban renewal in downtown St. Louis with like brick and mortar stores. Right. That's the internet was supposed to pull all this out of business. Right. And in a lot of cases now, because the barrier is so low on Etsy, people can take small risks. They can have their little side hustles, put stuff out there. And if it gets traction, they can then take the bigger risk of opening a storefront because they actually have cash flow. And you know, banks aren't going to lend them money because banks don't like lending money to actual people. Um, but that's fine. We're circumventing it by going right to customers. And, and it's exciting. Like, this stuff is the NEA, um, no, Kickstarter has now given given more money in the last year to the arts than NEA. And actually, I misspoke. People, random people using Kickstarter have directed more money to the creative projects. It makes me a little sad because I, I think the NEA does have an important role. But it also shows what can happen if you build great platforms. People want to give money to artists they don't want to give money to obnoxious, parasitic middlemen. Yeah. And, and for some reason, for some reason I think a lot of the content industry is, is still not realizing that. But that's okay. There are going to be business leaders who realize it and are going to do the right thing and make amazing software and are going to drink all their milkshake. So
0: I want to end um, our time together on a downer. Um,
1: oh, no, okay no,
0: just just kidding. But you you talk about oh, okay. um, uh, the last chapter of the book, uh, dear class of twenty twenty five, as yeah. a commencement speech to this uh, this class that will someday exist. And you started off by um, I apologize, we screwed up the internet. You wanna you wanna fill that in? Yes.
1: Yeah, I you know my so my editor was like you know you're he was like you are such an optimistic dude. And I'm like thank you, Rick. And he's like you need to he's like you need to at least scare people a little about what could happen if we don't get it right. And I was like, all right, Rick, how do you think I should do that? And he was like, I don't know, just come up with some hypothetical future, like some dystopian future. And we keep talking. And he's like, how about this? Just give a graduation speech uh, in the, for the dystopian class in 2025. And I was like, all right, great. I'll, sure, let's try this. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was I mean, satirical, but uh, it turned out a little too true. There's a, there's a section in there where I talk about how um, we've lost our right to digital privacy. Yeah. And, and I talk about, I think I think it was a TSA agent re- looking through my Dropbox or my email. I can't quite remember. But the, the, the sad reality was that was all written a year or so ago. And, and in the light of the Snowden revelations uh, was, needless to say, a little frightening and disheartening, uh, that all this stuff in my hypothetical dystopian future was actually already happening right now. But what, what I wanted to do there was, was hopefully galvanize because after all of the stuff we have just seen in only the last, I mean, really 10 years, um, after all that we've seen so far, we need to also take note of the fact that this is just the beginning this is the earliest stages of a new frontier that is the internet, and we still haven't seen its full potential. We haven't come close to seeing it live up to its fullest potential. And if, if, I mean, if, if all those stories that I have in there are not evidence of everything that it's been able to do, everything that it possibly can be, um, you know, I, I, I just I think of all the potential amazing stuff that we won't get if we screw this up. And, and historically, there have always been amazing people who've never been able to reach that maximum level of loss. And, you know, for all these stupid societal reasons, all this stuff, bad life lottery tickets, just just stuff got in the way. I know there have been talented writers and entrepreneurs and thinkers and actors and people who never got to do that stuff. And while the internet is not a magic wand, it's helping people achieve that right now, and it's going to help many more. And so for all those people who we never used to benefit from, for all those people who we are, we are poor as a civilization because we never got to benefit from their genius. I hope we can get it right going forward and I hope that dystopian future does not happen. And I hope we can roll back a lot of the NSA overreach we've had and I hope we can keep this internet as open and free as possible because all links must be created equal if you wanna have a world where a couple of random kids can take a little bit of money in a little apartment with some computers and start something that one day has, you know, like I said, more traffic than the New York Times. Like of future that I want to be a part of because I just want better stuff. I want innovation to keep going forward. And I think we can do it. We have an amazing platform, the internet, to help us, and uh, and I really hope we can do it.
0: Alexis, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, uh, thank you. Without their permission, I suggest you go out. It's a very quick read, but it's a very entertaining read, which is what makes it a quick read. Um, and, well, I, and, you. and really, uh, you—I'm you, um, sure you're being received extremely well um, in the college crowd because you, you look like one of them, um, and uh, <laughs> so you, you know, so you can get away well, with like. that. Uh, um, but you've <laughs> also got kind of the the you've got the dream that they want to achieve. And, and so, um, you know, I, I appreciate you going out there and, and spreading that kind of, uh, not just hope, but, uh, you know, a real world example of what's possible.
1: Well, thank you. And, and, and big shout out to duct tape, uh, big fan, love the original book and love all the stuff. Like that is like, like, all this stuff is so, so important, and these ideas need to get out there. So, thank you for, for doing what you guys do.
0: Well, I appreciate I'm sure you probably read it, and that was, was, was that maybe the, uh, it was about the time that Reddit started. So, maybe that was the uh, inspiration for, for everything that made Reddit successful.
1: I'll, I'll take Make all of the credit. I seriously, I, I think the time is I think the time is about right.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much. And uh, I missed you. You were just in Kansas City, which is where I am. But uh, I know you were tied up in uh, in Compute Midwest. But I, I was, Compute
1: Midwest was a amazing, yeah, man. Yeah, I found 350 books. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah very, very. It was so cool.
0: Great, great event. Uh, Mike puts on a great event. So. Um, oh,
1: Mike does. Yeah,
0: awesome. Well, thanks so much, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll bump into you. Uh, I have a daughter that lives in New York, so uh, I'll, I'll ring you up because uh, uh, I understand you're in Brooklyn.
1: I am in Brooklyn. Our barbecue is not as good, no, nope. but uh, I think I can find a few things. Uh, the Brooklyn Bowl, one of my
0: favorite places.
1: Yes, hell yeah, <laughs> I love the Brooklyn. I'm not I'm not in the cool part of Brooklyn. That's cool Brooklyn, but I do visit. All right, <laughs> take care. Awesome. You too.
0: Thank you guys